When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sure you've been wondering where me and Brian have been. Well, you know, there was that draft, and then there was free agency. So we've been pretty busy. But fear not, we do have an episode of Keeping It 94 Special Edition. It's your boy, Spencer Davies, along with Evan Sidery, freelance writer for us at basketballnews.com. And the wonderful Eric Pincus of Bleacher Report filling in, helping us out as Brian and I try to get back on the same page as our schedules have gotten a little crazy. But hopefully you guys enjoy this show. And before you know it, Brian and I will be back at our shenanigans as usual, doing Keeping It at 94 like you love it. But until then, enjoy this episode. It was day four of free agency this week. Hope you guys enjoy. I'll catch you soon. And we're here again. It's Basketball News NBA Free Agency Show presented by Panini. What's up, guys? Spencer Davies along with Evan Sidery. We will be joined later on a little bit by Eric Pincus of Bleacher Report just talking about what's happening on day four of NBA Free Agency as things have started to you know, slow down a little bit. We did get a little bit of news uh, on the uh, offer sheet front in Charlotte about Lowry Markkinen possibly being connected over there. But just to start this out, what's up, Evan? How are we doing? Doing great, Spencer. Uh, how about yourself? It's just a time right now we were just talking off the air where it's crazy this year. It's really slowed down for the first day compared to most years. Yeah, no, seriously. I mean, it's funny. You know, I, I had a day yesterday to, to do some writing and I was listening into your guys' show and I'm just thinking to myself, wow, like there's literally not much to talk about. Like everything got done in the first two days, really the first day, um, other than some of the, you know, uh, you know, lower end deals that are still kind of trickling in, but uh, you know, it's, it's just kind of crazy how Alex was saying, you know, in our Slack channel, how it's, it's nuts how the free agency period is, is done this quickly rather than being like stretched out, you know, like we still got names left. Like we can go and run through, you know, the, the gauntlet here and see who is left. Like on basketballnews.com, Ethan Fuller did a great job of, of kind of, putting in all of those names uh, in one list. So make sure you go check that out, but we'll just go right, right to it here. Uh, guards left. We have Dennis Schroeder, uh, Reggie Jackson, Lou Williams, Wesley Matthews, JJ Redick, Alfred Payton, Hamadou Diallo, Avery Bradley, Langston Galloway. And then some of the others include Frank Nilakina, Isaiah Thomas, Etwan Moore, Brad Wanamaker, Jordan McLaughlin, and Dante Exum on the wing side. Yes, Kawhi Leonard is still available. <laughs> he hasn't officially signed back uh, with the Clippers, and he is still an unrestricted free agent, so keep that in mind. Kelly Oubre Jr., Andre Iguodala, Josh Hart, Justice Winslow, Svi Mikhailuk, Jared Vanderbilt, DeAndre Bembry, Isaac Bonga, and some others. James Ennis, somebody who you thought uh, would have been you know, connected to the Lakers, but they've signed a, quite a bit of people so far, so... Uh, probably not going to happen on that end. Uh, Denzel Valentine, Garrison Matthews, Paul Watson Jr., Stanley Johnson, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, and Gary Clark. 
And we're going to round this out with the bigs that are available. Lowry Markkinen. We'll get into that because that's pretty much the biggest news of the day. Uh, getting that interest from Charlotte and a possible offer sheet. So we'll keep an eye on that. Paul Millsap, LaMarcus Aldridge, the news coming out yesterday that he may, after all, not be retired. We will find that out. Aaron Baines, Isaiah Hardenstein, DeMarcus Cousins. Frank Kaminsky just re-signed with the Suns today. Bismack Biombo, Ed Davis, Willie Hernan Gomez, and some others that you got are Harry Giles, TJ Leaf, Patrick Patterson, DJ Wilson, Ersan Ilyasova, Alan Smaljak, Luke Cornett, and Taco Fall is a free agent. So uh, I guess we can get right to it after reading off that list. Uh, still quite a bit there, but who on that list to you sticks out as somebody that can still be a big difference maker with the, with the exception of Kawhi Leonard? I think the one to me, it's someone we've been highlighting throughout the week as the market's pretty much dried out on this player and also Dennis Schroeder as well. But I think a player like Kelly Oubre could still make a difference covering him with the Phoenix Suns a year and a half ago. He, he really can make a difference either on the mid-level exception or in a sign trade, which Alex has been mentioning is a strong possibility throughout the stream this week. I think Oubre in the right situation could really do well for himself. But the big question is, can he buy into a role like that? Because Oubre wants to be a starter. He wants to be a, a really a bucket getter. But in the right situation, I have to wonder whether he buys into that or not. It's a good question. It's a good thought, too. But going to have you hold your other thoughts because we have a special guest coming in as advertised just a few minutes ago. It's Bleacher Report's cap guru, Eric Pincus, a good friend. And we're going to bring him in right now. Hey, there what's up? Let's see if I can move a little bit. There we are. Center. <laughs> what's, hey, what's going up, guys? on, buddy? All right. Let's How do you this. Doing? What's going on? Nothing uh, much. You know, it's uh, it's been a blur. I'm still trying to catch up because so much happened so quickly in free agency. Now it used to be five, six, seven years ago. It would space out over a day or two. Like the top free agent would decide, and then the next guy would decide. There'd be a few, and then it, it would come, but it would take like a week. Here, it's like literally uh, eight seconds, five seconds into free agency, we're seeing tweets. Those agents were quick. I'm telling you, like man, they. they couldn't have negotiated that deal beforehand because it's illegal. So uh, yeah, very <laughs> impressive work to get that done in eight seconds. So it's incredible. On? It's incredible how fast they negotiate. It's like technology must be so good, right? I've got my first question for you, and I know you're going to enjoy this one. If the Lakers sign and trade Dennis Schroeder, are they hard capped? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Can you please just go through how many times you tweeted that out this summer? Well, I, at some point, like I just decided to tweet it every day because, well, it, it's not just Laker fans because most people don't know the rules. And if you sign and trade a player and send them somewhere, you don't have a hard cap. The trigger is acquiring a player via sign and trade. So, for instance, the Wizards will be operating with a hard cap this year because they're signing and trading for Spencer Dinwiddie. The Bulls are not. They're well over that hard cap. And so the NBA has a soft cap. This year it's about $143 million, And the Nets are over that. So if they had a hard cap, they couldn't do the Dinwiddie thing if this logic was what it is. But it's not that. And, and people ask me over and over again, every day, day after day. At some point, I just started making it a daily tweet. And I would have pinned it to my feed, but I had a video on THT that had to stay up until his situation was re- resolved. So... Uh, it became sort of a running joke, and uh, I, I got a lot of traction. I mean, people like hitting me up. Like I don't know, I, I'll be forever associated with this. It seems it's it's been very uh, stressful and yet comical and in, in, in all in one. 
Had to keep the THT thing up because, you know, obviously a little bit of this. Because you're so good at what you do, man. Seriously. But uh, let's let's get into the Lakers, though. You just mentioned them. Um, An offseason that started out just bringing in veteran after veteran after veteran. But then, you know, they go out and get a Malik Monk. They go out and get a Kendrick Nunn. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, what the Lake Show have done and, and Rob Palenka being active uh, in this free agency period? Right. Well, uh, Rob is a very active GM. There, there are some GMs who are going to do too little, and then there's some who are going to do too much. And Rob, whether you like him or not or whatever, he's on the do too much side of the coin. Like the Lakers win a title. He doesn't just sit with Rondo, Danny Green, and, and keep that core together. He goes and, and flips pieces, lets Rondo go right or wrong. I mean, AD doesn't get hurt. They believe that they would have won this thing relatively easily and so they they could be right or wrong it doesn't matter like you may not be a laker fan you may be thinking they're crazy but it's from their point of view so they operate their decisions come from their point of view and their point of view is they would have won back to back but yet rob plink is not somebody who's like okay fine we'll just roll it back uh he's going they they basically decided they didn't want to bring back dennis at the price that he wanted and uh, go and get Westbrook. They were looking very closely at Buddy Heald. That was sort of well-reported. But Westbrook was always a plan B. Plan A, of course, is, you know, Dame and Beal. Those guys weren't available to the Lakers. Plan B was Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook. Chris Paul goes on to the finals. So that kind of knocked that out of contention. And Westbrook was the guy. And then the Wiz weren't moving him. Wiz weren't moving him. So they worked out plan C, Buddy Heald. And boom, just like that, Wizards say, okay, we'll do it, and here we are. So they got Nunn and and Monk to add some youth. They have THT, Taylor Horton Tucker. So they do have some key young pieces. They do have a lot of older pieces. Uh, you could joke about their age. Carmelo's older. LeBron's older, obviously. AD's older. Uh, Dwight's older. You go down the list. There's a lot of older players. They're going to bring back Jared Dudley, in my opinion, and he's older. You know, like, But it, it, they have some springy legs there, too. I would love to see them bring in one more piece as like a young, like a, they had Jamie and Jones last year for a brief point. Somebody like that, where it's like a guy who's anywhere from 22 to 28, who's young and bouncy and not as established to develop as a young big because their bigs are older, Gasol and whatnot. So we'll have to wait and see what they actually end up doing. But um, I think they've done pretty well with what they have. Yeah, Eric, I wanted to expand a little bit further on what the Lakers have done. Obviously, they let go of Alex Caruso, but they bring in a lot of shooters, which I'm really a fan of, to make this Westbrook, AD, LeBron trio work. I think they've signed up four guys over plus 40% three-point percentage last season. What's your overall opinion of how the Lakers have tried to construct this roster around that big three? Well, so I think what people get hung up on when they hear, like, oh, the Lakers are getting Westbrook, is um, that teams can make more than one transaction. <laughs> I mean, they don't have one move and that's that. And so it was easy to say, well, if you have Russell Westbrook and you have LeBron and AD and no shooting and none of those guys are necessarily true shooters, LeBron's the best shooter of the bunch, but AD's shooting last year was really low from, he was a poor three-point shooter. Uh, two years ago, he was solid and uh, productive and won a game in the playoffs with a big three. Uh, and then Westbrook is he's he's closer to Kobe in the sense of he's going to take all the shots he can and they're not going to be the most efficient, but he'll get you wins uh, more of like uh, Kobe's nickname from Stu Lance was the dagger. Stu Lance does the broadcast locally. I, I love Stu, but I never liked that uh, com- that name for Kobe because Kobe was more of like a machine gun shooting thousands of bullets and he's going to hit most of them, but he's he's going to miss a lot, too. 
where as opposed to a dagger is more of like get up close and it's like a very strategic choose your moment weapon. That's not Kobe. That's not who he was. And that's not who Westbrook is. So if you went with Buddy, better fit from a true shooting point of view. But Russ Westbrook is the better basketball player and he's going to get them more wins. And if you then say that's all they can do, then sure, the shooting is a problem. But it's not. And so, yeah, you go and get Ellington, not a very good defender, but a really, really good shooter. Then you get Nunn, who's maybe a, a plus defender, depending on situation, maybe a negative. We'll have to see how he fits in this. Uh, but a really good shooter. He's like a 90, 90% free throw shooter above. That's a good sign that the person can actually shoot. Uh, Mello sh- shot well. Bazemore shot well this last year. Uh, I'm forgetting people. Like You just look at their roster, and it's like, Shooter, 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 shooter. Now they don't have Caruso back. Caruso wasn't a great shooter. He would spike and his numbers weren't actually bad, but he was really a defender. Where are they defensively? Are they going to be as good? And Bazemore can defend on the wing, LeBron, AD, and then they brought in Ariza. That's, he, he's older. When we start joking about Lakers age, he's among that. If he has enough legs to help them, that could be big. You know, Ariza, Bazemore, Braun, AD, but they are a little bit weak. I think what they're hoping for is another step forward from Taylor Horton Tucker because he does have this ridiculous length uh, in his arms. Like his wingspan is like off the charts as far as like, I forget which measure, but like the draft combine, he had like the largest difference between height and wingspan, uh, like one of the top five in, in, in all the database for all the years that it's covered. So uh, if he can be a better shooter and a better defender, then they're golden, right? But I do think maybe adding one or two more pieces along the way might might help that because they do look like they need another wing defender, probably another big wing defender. Sorry, gentlemen, I seem to have popped in and out, <laughs> but we're That's back. We're back. Um, no, I guess uh, Eric, you've been talking at length about the Lakers, but uh, out of this free agency pool that we have left, we kind of went over the list uh, before. Um, you know, you got on here, but is there anybody that catches your eye that could still be a difference maker uh, for either contender or a team that's trying to get pushed over the edge? Well, I, I the names that you mentioned were were the top ones, and and it's it's kind of a difficult situation for Dennis Schroeder and and Kelly Oubre. Like in the case of Dennis, I get it. Like there were this was a huge free agent class of ball handling guards, more than any other position. That's where the depth was. And there's only so much money out there. And so I'm, I'm, I feel for him that he got squeezed and he doesn't have a home. But in the case of Ubre, there were like almost no wings out there. It was a really light wing uh, free agent class. And I'm, I'm surprised that he didn't get a spot. But, you know, the money dries up really quickly. And this is nothing new. Like if you go back a really long time when the Michael Jordan era broke up and Dennis Rodman ended up a free agent, like he didn't understand how things were going to go and he ended up not having any money. Like he didn't understand like, boom, the money's gone. And he ended up joining the Lakers for a minute. Didn't work out like it happens. So this is not a new thing. This is something that's been going on for a really long time. Once the money's gone, it's gone and teams are going to prioritize other players. So like, Caruso, like Kemba Walker was a surprise addition to the free agent market, right? Like if you go back to your before the season, like once he went to OKC, fine, that was a possibility, but that didn't happen until after the season. So if you're projecting, if you're Dennis and his people and you're projecting who's going to go where, that wasn't in your calculation, but I don't know if they projected it properly, but you still had guys like Lou Williams and like Patty Mills and 
Sadaransky, who ended up not being a free agent, but ended up getting traded, who's a perfectly serviceable guy who who can start for you. Like even Ish Smith, like there are guys who can play at that position. Derek Rose, TJ McConnell, Caruso, Graham. So it, it's really, it's been a tough situation for Dennis. I don't know how that's going to resolve just yet. Uh, as far as the, the wing situation though, that, it's like Kawhi probably goes back to the Clippers. Damar was the big question. Oladipo's hurt, so that he was not a factor. We all kind of knew Powell and uh, Trent were going to stay where they were. I figured that the Blazers were going to have to overpay Powell in their situation. I had heard Duncan was staying, uh, and so really the very and I heard Tim Hardaway Jr. was staying. So it was really like the only guy who was really available uh, was well Damar and then Fournier. So I figured that. Kelly Oubre would be third on that list, but I think his asking point was so high. But like Otto Porter Jr. took a minimum, basically took his spot in Golden State. I don't know where he's going to go. Josh Hart's still out there. He's another guy who's a difference maker, restricted. I was told that the Pelicans would like to bring him back and they just had to find the right number. So I'm sort of penciling him in there, but we'll have to wait and see because where else can he go at this point? Uh, I think the Pistons will keep, keep Hamadou Diallo, underrated player. Uh, good scorer. Um, I like I like Diallo. Uh, JJ Redick is a little bit older. Good shooter. Uh, there weren't many bigs, and teams don't really go crazy for bigs like they used to. So uh, I don't know if anyone jumps out. Paul Millsap, maybe. Um, who's still? I mean, Demarcus Cousins. You start to get down to the list of guys who kind of help you. Aaron Baines. Um, you know, it's not. It was a very thin big man class of free agents. It was. Very few big men, very few wings, and like 100 point guards. How about one that's in between then? We haven't really discussed this yet, and Evan, you can chime in too, but uh, Lowry Markkinen, uh, according to Sham Sharania, getting uh, interest of an offer sheet coming from Charlotte. Uh, what do you feel like that fit would be like? Uh, either of you guys uh, that wants to, to, to kind of contribute to the conversation here, um, you know, around LaMelo Ball and Gordon Hayward and Terry Rozier and, and those guys. I like it, honestly. I mean, I think Markkinen would do very well with LaMelo. We saw last year LaMelo can really help elevate players around him. Markkinen's a great four spacer, career 37% three-point shooter, shot over 40% last year in Chicago. Just a big question, Markkinen's been to injuries. He hasn't played a full season yet in the NBA. But I love his fit there in Charlotte. I think he fits very well with Miles Bridges. You obviously draft James Booknight as well, Kai Jones. They have a nice young core there in Charlotte. The question for me now is, what do the Hornets do with a guy like P.J. Washington, who's now going to be off their bench? They're kind of getting really interested in what they could do with Markin and Washington. I do wonder if they're a team that could be scouring the market for a guy like Miles Turner. He can make a lot of sense there in Charlotte. Maybe you can package P.J. Washington to go get him. But Markin, I really like the fit there, honestly. Yeah, the, the, the Hornets, the way I had them going was they needed a center. That was the most obvious need out of any team in the league. They had like zero there. And uh, they ended up trading for Mason Plumlee. Uh, or at least agreed to that around the draft. I think it happens in uh, tomorrow, probably the sixth. Uh, and so he's serviceable, right? So they've got Plumlee. And the question was, do you go hard after like an Andre Drummond? Do you go hard after Montrez Harrell, who ended up opting in, uh, Rashawn Holmes? And I think Rashawn Holmes was probably the top guy that they considered chasing in free agency. But I, 
I, I don't know if they were ready to to go all in on that direction. And then the Mason Plumley thing happened enough that like, okay, we can piece it together. You still have PJ Washington. We could see what else we can do. And Mitch Kupchak is more patient than a lot. Like we talked about Rob being like a do too much kind of guy, not, not in a critical way. Uh, Mitch has always been more of like a sit back and be patient and the right moves will present itself when they present itself. And that's a very different philosophy. So here he is. He's done all the moves. He's got his team. He drafted well, uh, has had a good summer. And everyone else ran out of money, basically. And so now you have Laurie Markkinen, who the, the Bulls don't, didn't want to keep in the first place uh, and basically don't have the money to keep him anyway because of their moves that they've made. They're going to have a hard cap because they acquired uh, Lonzo Ball. And so you're getting something for cheap. You're going to get Lori Markin and you're not going to have to, I don't know where they are at money because I'm just swamped trying to catch up. Uh, <laughs> this is like the only time you'll catch me not knowing this stuff. This is my job to know everything, but I've been doing so much uh, consulting and analysis and I'm just, I'm behind on exactly what their number situations, but it's not a lot. They're going to get marketing if they get them at a discount, which is a totally a Mitch thing to do outside of little old dang. And don't, you know, don't go back in history. Yeah. There was a couple of bad mistakes with Mozgov and Deng. But generally speaking, he's going to make smart moves uh, and not really over-aggressive ones and wait for an opportunity. And marketing for cheap, it's like, duh, of course. You know, the Spurs had a real shot to get Lowry. um, But ultimately, I had heard that he's just not really a Spur-type fit, uh, having to do with durability, physicality. Like, he's a big who's not... He's more of a finesse big. He's closer, to be honest, to uh, LaMarcus, and that's not a criticism and they had sort of a, a back-and-forth relationship with LaMarcus in San Antonio. He's closer to that as opposed to, like, Pirtle or other guys who are just going to, like, pound and grind and beat you up and be over-physical. Uh, that's a really tough team in, in San Antonio. They want you to play hard. And not to say that, that Markinen doesn't, but his game is more finesse than power and toughness. And so he just wasn't a fit there. I'm going to go ahead, Evan. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say just your cap knowledge, Eric, we've seen so many moves in free agency with sign in trades, DeRozan, Lonzo, Kyle Lowry, Spencer Dinwiddie. Most recently was a five team sign in trade. Just what behind the scenes, what kind of intricacies go into a sign in trade? Cause I know many out there are just curious about what all goes into those steps. Well, I, the first step is, I mean, there are a lot of steps, obviously. And typically the first step is that there's interest between the player and, and the team, right? So Lonzo Ball chose to go to Chicago out of all the other free agent destinations. Dinwiddie chose to go to Washington. Uh, you go down the list. And sometimes it's like, okay, we'll do a free agent signing and done. We work out the numbers and we'll do it. But then there's a call made to the original team. So if you're, um, if you're the, the Bulls, you call up David Griffin. You're Arturis and you call up David and you're like, hey, we're going to go and sign uh, Lonzo. We'd rather not do an offer sheet. Is there a way that we could do this as a sign-in trade and we'll get you something? And they negotiate and um, Griffin obviously says, yeah, well, we, we value Sadoransky if you want to send him our way, et cetera. And they work it out. Uh, in the case of like the Lakers, they have a deal with Russell Westbrook and the Wizards. And so that's a three-team trade. Uh, it was basically a two-team trade. And then Washington, I believe, brought Indiana into it because they didn't want the pick that they got from the Lakers. So basically they offered the the Pacers a, a first round pick uh, Lakers 22 to get Aaron holiday. So um, 
that became a three-team trade because the Lakers and the Wizards had a two-team, and it sounds like the the Wizards piggybacked that on. But then separate conversation is the Wizards trying to get Dinwiddie, reach an agreement, try to work something out with the Nets, uh, and they can't because the Nets are not wanting to take on money. And so then it's a question of, well, how can we get this done without taking without giving money to the Nets. And so the Wizards can say, well, we can make that a three-team trade and see if somebody else will take a piece or two. Or we can go back to the Lakers and the Pacers who already have a deal that hasn't been executed. There's a lot of money that's in that deal already. It can get very easy to just pad contracts and make it work, send players to different locations. Or in the case of Westbrook, his contract is so much and they were bringing in less than Westbrook. They just needed to add, add, I don't know for sure, they needed to add Chandler Hutchison either to get to Westbrook or separately to get to Holiday. Like there are different ways they could have done it. I don't know the exact starting figure for Dinwiddie that'll uh, indicate how that trade actually is orchestrated. But it, it becomes a math problem at some point where you have cap uh, guys like what I do, but for teams who can help them break it down. If we do this amount, we can do it this way. If we do that amount, we could do it a little differently. Uh, and then I've, I've been helping some agents trying to help their situations get resolved. And you look at like, okay, the there are outstanding trades like the the uh, Lowry thing with the Heat hasn't executed. Uh, Plumlee isn't, you know, like there's, there's a long list of trades that are agreed to. So you start looking at them like the Tristan Thompson to the Kings and the thing with the Celtics that gets them uh, done and uh, Fernando and uh, sends DeLon Wright to the Hawks. Like that's not done yet. So if you're trying to get your guy sign and traded, you're looking for teams that have trades that aren't executed. You're looking at the Mavericks and saying, okay, they have an $11 million roughly trade exception for Josh Richardson. Are they interested in taking on a player for $10 million sign and trade? Uh, or is a hard cap like, well, they're, they're probably going to have a hard cap because they are probably staying over the cap and probably using their exceptions to get, um, aren't they getting, is it Bullock they're getting? Yes. Um, and there's three years, 32 million. I think Shannon Brown's brother, uh, Sterling Brown. Yes. Sterling, Sterling Brown. Brown. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, that I think is the biannual. So they're hard capped if they're using those to get them. I think that's how they're doing it. If you total up all their salaries, they still might be able to do a sign and trade for that $10 million. So if you're a free agent, like if you're Dennis Schroeder, you say, okay, Dallas, do you, would you sign and trade for me? Or you look at the, the, the Celtics who have, uh, the trade exception for um, they have one for Kemba. Actually, they they have one still for Tristan. If they do things differently, they can piggyback onto that trade and use the Tristan trade exception to get like someone like Dennis sign in trade. But the problem there for the Celtics is that they are hard capped if they do that. And they're actually the Mavericks, I think, are pretty low, but the Celtics are right there. And so, you know, Boston, they always want to trade for the top superstar in the league. They come in second for every single superstar every time. I mean, they, they've almost gotten AD. They've almost gotten everybody. At some point, they probably will get somebody. And if they do, if Dame comes available, if Beal, which I don't think, uh, Simmons, they might go chasing one of those guys. And if they do, having a hard cap could be really detrimental to that. So maybe a sign-in trade wouldn't work, even though the math might. So it's a very complex process. There's you got to figure like the teams aren't trying to help each other, but then there are relationships where you do want to help each other if you can. So like the wizards helped the Lakers with AD right back in the day, the three team trade. 
And so the Lakers were happy to help here, but they also got a second round pick out of it. Uh, so, you know, there's always like, what can I get out of it to help you? And you think about all the teams and the general managers, whatever presidents of basketball operation, whatever their titles are. Then you have the ownership level, the governors, everyone has to be on the same page. And then you have the players have to all agree and players aren't going to always want to do what you say and stars can throw their weight around. So you can see how hard these things can be to actually execute. But um, props to the Wizards who are doing everything they can to give Bradley Beal a reason to stay. And props to the Bulls who are giving uh, Zach Levine all the reason to stay. Now, whether those things happen or not, we don't know. But you, you look at like the Blazers, like they brought in Zeller, they lost Mello, they did overpay Powell, but his, his, his annual isn't bad. 18 a million is about right. But he got five years, which is a lot. So like they're not, I, I don't see the Blazers doing what the Bulls and what the Wizards are doing to keep their star who's about, you could say, well, Lillard has three more years and Zach only has one and, and Beal only has one. So they're more pressured. But I feel like the Blazers should feel that same pressure and should be in that kind of hyper track that these teams are. It's crazy that, you know, you go through the process and that these teams actually agree to things that aren't exactly perfectly structured right away. Like that they actually have to, you know, kind of make these things malleable and and able to work like original trade is agreed upon. And then like what happened on the show uh, that you did with us last offseason with Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe and how that actually just kind of blew up into like a four team deal. I was always fascinated uh, by that process. (laughs) Well, not when they they had a triple sign-in trade, I think it was. Like, it was like Joshi, jo- Josiah Gray, I think that's how you say it, or Josh Gray, uh, Zylan Cheatham, and Kendrick Williams all did sign-in trades from the Pelicans together to get over to the Thunder. And you have to do three-year deals with the first year has to be guaranteed, and then the next two don't have to be. And I believe that they uh, cut two of those guys. They still have... Um, Kendrick. Uh, but that's one of those questions that on the Twitter hard cap thing where like I say, like you can you can sign and trade out, no hard cap, sign and trade in, then you have a hard cap. And people would say, well, what if both teams do a sign and trade? I'm like, well, by de- definition, if both teams take in and if in triggers a hard cap, it's not like multiplying negative six times negative six, you get positive 36. <laughs> it's not like it ca- cancels out. <laughs> And then people say, well, can you sign and trade with other players or do dual sign and trades? And I give examples of like case studies where this happens. So some of it is like some of what I do is is coming up with new ideas. And a lot of it is just remembering how teams do what they do. I analyze every move and try to remember the mechanisms by which they do it so that when you're looking at a, a, an impossible situation that you can solve it. But, you know, like in the, in the case of Dennis Schroeder, like, let's say that the Mavericks chose to do a sign and trade and could fit it within a hard cap for $10 million, uh, a year, right? Starting $10 million. Is Is that something that Dennis would want to do? Because I just said, if you do a sign and trade, you have to do a three-year deal. So if he thinks, whether he's right or wrong, that he's worth 19 to $22 million a year, or at least starting, right? Would he sign for $10 million for one year? Probably, because there's no more money than that. Would he sign for three years, $30 million? when he thinks he should be getting close to 20 million a year. And the answer is probably no. Like he, he might have opportunities. I'm, and I'm not saying Dallas will do this. I, I don't know what Dallas would do. And the reports are is that they won't. But let's say Dallas would. I don't know if Dennis would because, yeah, he's turning away 30 million. 
but he he might view it as like I can make thirty million in two years. So why would I go sign up for thirty million in three? And so finding these solutions are are it's tough. We'll we'll have to see how Uber solves it. They're they're the two two names that jump out that I I I feel sympathy for their situations because they are they're they're stuck and it happens every year where someone gets stuck and just is what it is. All right, before we get into the next move that I want to talk about, uh, I did want to thank our sponsor Panini. Uh, Panini is the exclusive trading card uh, partner of the NBA. You can get Panini NBA trading cards featuring all the league's top players, including rookies and free agents on the move at Walmart, Target, Hobby Stores Nationwide, and online at PaniniAmerica.net. So uh, we also had another extension get signed. It was Julius Randle going to the Knicks, staying with the Knicks, I should say, uh, four years, $117 million dollars. What did y'all make of that move? Uh, you know, couple that with bringing in Evan Fournier in a four-year, seventy-eight million dollar deal, bringing back guys like Derrick Rose, Alec Burks, and Nerlens Noel. It seems like they're keeping the core together and and moving forward with this thing. Um, and just bringing in Evan was was pretty much the newest move, and obviously Kemba Walker uh, at eight million. So, uh, what do you guys make of the the Knicks' future? Uh, the pat, you know, the present and the present and the future, I should say, I guess. I, I think it's very interesting what the Knicks have done. Uh, I was a fan of their moves, even on the first day of free agents. Running it back with continuity, I think, is an underrated aspect in today's league. And you obviously bring on Evan Fournier for around $18 million per year. I think it's a solid signing, a great fit to help space the floor with R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle. And also those options on the last year, the contracts for Burks, Rose, I believe has one as well, and Nerlens Noel. You do keep long-term flexibility down the line. And Julius Randle might have been in line for a bit, huge extension next offseason. He does a hometown discount, so to say, to help out their flexibility. So I come back to the Knicks potentially being a team to watch out for down the line for a Damian Lillard, a Bradley Beal, and some sort of trade scenario because the Knicks really have kept all that flexibility. And they're a team that was the fourth seed in the East last year. If they can improve on that and keep that going, they're a team that's solidly in the playoffs next year. Yeah, I, I was there when Julius worked out with the Lakers when they were interviewing him for the draft process. And they let you in about 15 minutes. Uh, when is 15 minutes left in the workout, roughly? And I think they let us see a little bit more of Julius than they had of almost anybody. And usually they were like three-on-three group workouts, but this was a little different. It was Julius going up against Mark Madsen. And Mark Madsen uh, had recently retired and was in coaching. So he was still... Uh, relatively young. Mark is still relatively young. Uh, but um, watching Mark, who had grown man strength, try to cope with Julius, who was still a baby, who had serious grown man strength, uh, was really impressive. And then I was there when he broke his leg in that first game, which was just devastating. Uh, but he's a great guy. I I've, I've, have a lot of fond memories of him. Uh, really cares about what he's doing, cares about being great. And he was in a tough situation in the Lakers, a lot of transition. Uh, the the success he's had, I, I feel great about. I mean, I, I, I want people to succeed, even the ones who I don't get along with personally as well or don't know as well. I get along generally speaking. I'm just saying, like, I, kn- I got to know him a little better than most and really happy for him. And uh, his growth this last year was tremendous because his first year in New York, he was adequate. He wasn't great. And he really elevated his game and, and was tremendous. And I think... Tibbs was the perfect match because the basic thing with Thibodeau is that if you play his defense, he'll let you have a lot more freedom in offense. And it's similar to Vogel and other defensive minded coaches. Like let, let me 
let me, I'll let you do your thing, but you got to do my thing. And Julius, when he was with the Lakers, had one really good year defensively where it was that concept of like, if you bust, this was for Luke, Luke Walton. If you busted on D, then we're going to run stuff through you. And they just let Julius go. I think when he got to the playoffs, he saw like, man, look how hard I had to work to get from where I was to where I am now. And look how much harder I, I have to work to get where I can produce in the playoffs. That's where he is now. And they're investing in that belief that number one, he'll get there, but that also if they give him help, that he'll bring it there as well. They did not have any work. It was basically like Derek Rose and Julius Randle and the defense just pick and chose who to stop. And it was like, okay, we're getting killed by Rose. Let's stop him. And Julius went off and then vice versa. It's like you add in a shooter, one of the best shooters on the market in Fournier. Remember, there were only a few wings. You're paying 18 million, which is what they all got. And I believe the last year's a team option. Haven't seen the contract yet. It's, it's not official yet. And then uh, the surprise of getting Kemba Walker at a good price, like Kemba Walker at 36 million, whatever it was, that's too much, right? You're, you're putting too, money, too much of your resources into Kemba that you don't have enough money to spend elsewhere. $8 million. I mean, Kemba's like a really good point guard. He's obviously a little bit hurt lately. Uh, he's a great locker room guy, great chemistry fit, uh, a great scorer, and... Like you're, you're not going to go wrong. So really like their patience and, and aggressiveness. It's kind of a nice mix. Uh, it's a good team. Some might say that like, why did they give so much to Noel? Some people were asking me and like centers, generally speaking, we're getting about 5 million uh, unless you were uh, the Cavaliers and you were paying Jared Allen, like, you know, a hundred and what? hundred and hundred million. million. 100 million. 300, 300 million was it? No, it was, <laughs> point is, they gave him like a huge contract and great. Good for Jared. I'm happy for him. But generally speaking, centers aren't getting that kind of money unless you're like uh, Gobert or, uh, Vuce, uh, well, Jokic more and Embiid, right? But by and large, centers like Vooch get some money. But, uh, but in the case of, of Noel, like he was, he's younger. He's not somebody who needs the ball, fits in well, plays defense, block shots, sets screens. And I think from where he was when he first came into the league to where he is now, I think he's a little more mature. Um, I think he understands uh, how to work a little bit better. I think there were some questions about that early on. He was also in kind of a chaotic situation in Philly with positional duplication with like Okafer and, and Embiid who was hurt, but all that. It was a strange situation. So I'm happy that he's had the success. And it, I think another team might have gone after him for the mid-level, which is nine and a half. So if you're going to pay someone, if, if they're going to go for nine and a half, you probably pay them 11 to steal them. I mean, to keep them rather. Like if you can pay someone 11 and they can, but if you're going to pay 11, then you can pay 12. Like you should never not sign a deal because of, of a million. You know what I mean? So like whatever, like if you got 12, well, 11 wasn't an overpay. So if 11 is not an overpay, then 12 isn't an overpay. So I'm, I'm good with it. I, I got a quick question uh, just about team spending because obviously the 2022 class looks to be loaded uh, in free agency. And there were only about five or six teams that really had, you know, the, the, the room to operate uh, and sign the, the free agents in 2021. So, uh, you know, I, I get people asking me all the time, why would they pay this much money for a guy like this uh, when they can go after a specialist like that for like half the price or something? Um, can you explain kind of uh, what teams have to do when they have cap space uh, and, and room to operate like that? Because I think that there gets like kind of some confusion uh, in what they're like allowed to do and what they have to do. Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of a broad question in the sense that like, if you want 30 million 
in cap space to sign a top free agent, right? And so if you're talking about like a Kawhi Leonard, you need closer to 40. So it's, you need like 30 to 40 million, which means that you need to really have a lot of space. It's not enough to have 10 because the mid-level exception is roughly 10. And so mm-hmm. if you have 10 million in space, you, it, you functionally don't have space. You probably wouldn't go under the cap if you had 10 million. And if you have 12 million, it's, it, you're basically 10 million. So now you need to have like 18, 19, 20 million. And like, for instance, the case of the Hawks, like they could have had cap space, but it would have cost them John Collins. And his cap hold, which is basically the rights, he has. they have his bird rights, the rights to pay him, right? Whatever. They paid him, I don't know what the exact number is, $25 million maybe, I think. Mm-hmm. Whatever. It was five for $125. Yep. Right. So if it's 25 it's a little bit under the max. But it, there was no, like, saving money by not paying him uh, now and paying him later. Like, people are like, oh, you just can re-sign the guys you have rights to after you use your cap room. While that's true, uh, his his cap hold is was in this particular case twelve point four million. So y- yes, it's true you could have signed him last, gone under the cap, and then signed him to twenty five million whatever dollars. The problem is, is he still takes up twelve point four million. And if you look at the players they have in Gallinari, Bogdanovich, Capella, Trey, DeAndre Hunter, and Akangwu. Uh, all those guys make six million up to twenty twenty one million dollars. So you add it all up, and then you add in twelve and a half million dollars for John Collins, and the amount of cap room that they have is there is no cap room. So yes, they could have gotten a cap room, and yes, maybe they could have traded Gallinari to a team with cap space that would have cleared twenty million dollars roughly off their books, and then keep Collins at twelve. But that only opens up $8 million more than what they would have had. So is that enough to go after a $30 million guy? No. And that's, that's the bottom tier. It's 28, but 29. But like rounding numbers, 30 to $40 million, they didn't have the kind of money to go crazy and do that kind of thing. So uh, like saving money for cap room most of the time means that you've got like a really young player who's a steal, who you drafted, or is like maybe undrafted who's like, someone that you're paying almost nothing to like uh, Jokic, for instance, or something like that back in the day. Um, there are some circumstances, but it, the rules have changed and such. And like, there was some time where like Michael red with the bucks, if you go back far enough, had a really low cap hold because he was like a second round pick who became an all-star. So there are ways where you can manipulate things, but that's so rare. Like finding a dream on green, finding like a Marcus all guys who are, second round picks who are going to be all-star or franchise caliber or high level rotation players is really rare. So generally speaking, yeah, go ahead, go under the cap. But most of the time you're going to sacrifice most of your depth and talent to get one player, maybe two. And then you have to fill in with minimum players after that. And then you, they don't, those, those players don't pick you because they might, but I mean, by and large, like if there's only like three of those guys and there's eight or nine teams chasing those three guys, including the teams that have them and might keep them. So maybe that's not nine teams with cap space, but that's nine teams with cap space. The three teams those guys are coming from makes 12. And so now there's 12 teams chasing those three guys. So nine teams are going to be left out. So what happens when you let all these good pieces go? Uh, well, you typically what you do is you sign guys to big short-term deals and kick the can, and that's what they did, right? They the Knicks was our starting point. They did like 
uh, Taj Gibson for a year and Bobby Portis for a year uh, or two-year deals with an option, right? And they gave Julius a little bit more because they had more confidence and he, that's what it took to get him. Uh, and they had like Alfred Payton and um, like, you know, they just, they got a bunch of power forwards, Marcus Morris and kept, they added like four or five power forwards in one season. That's how, that's what happens when you you have cap room and it, you don't get the guys you want. And then you end up just using your money short term on guys who don't fit. And you have this kind of awkwardness for several years. And uh, it can be like, look at, you know, how long it took the Lakers to get from where they were, which was on top with Kobe. Kobe tears his Achilles in 2013. And after that, they were never the same. And so it took until LeBron came a couple years back, right? When he came in 2019. So they had a really long time of, uh, of stinking it up, right? Like five, six years of struggle where they had this, we have cap room, let's go spend it. Then they go and spend it on the wrong guys and Luol Deng and, and, and Mozgov and then they don't have cap room again. And then they're trading those guys to get like Brooke Lopez or they traded to get Jeremy Lin because you can use cap room to get trades. And you're just, it's, it's a really awkward place for a franchise to be. It's where the Knicks have been for years, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so if you have an opportunity and you're going to like worry about you overpaid, uh, Nerland's Noel by $2 million, maybe like, okay, fine. If you want to say that he should get what JaVale McGee and, and Robin Lopez got f- to go to their teams for 5 million a piece. And you want to say that Nerland's Noel, who's a lot younger than them should be the same price. That's not even accurate. Like he's legit at worst, an $8 million player at worst. So if you paid $12 million for an $8 million player, is that an overpay? I mean, okay, you overpaid by how much really? Like $4 million overpay? It's nothing. And really, that's subjective. You're, I have him at, at basically mid-level, nine and a half. So mm-hmm. if he's nine and a half and you paid 12, yeah, I would, I, maybe you could have paid 11. Who cares, right? Like 11 or 12. It's not going to be the reason why the Knicks don't get their next big star. I think one team that's really intriguing to me, Eric, throughout this free agency period has been Chicago. They're kind of now going for it. You go and get Lonzo Ball and DeMar DeRozan and set for sign and trade. You sign Alex Caruso for the mid-level exception. You have a strong core already in place of Zach Levine, Nicole Vucevic, a top five pick in Patrick Williams last year. What's your opinion of the Bulls really seemingly going for it at this point? <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's a risk in the sense that what they could have done and what they considered is – using their cap room to give Zach Levine a renegotiation and extend, which is rare, but it's something James Harden did, something Russell Westbrook did, something uh, actually Robert Covington did with the Sixers. It happens. It's just you need to have cap room to do so. And what that entails is you would take cap room to, I guess Zach is about 19, so it would be about $14 million to get him to the max. So you need $14 million in cap room, and you actually use that on Zach to pay him more for this season and then extend him for multiple years. They can't just give him an extension because the most they can give him is a raise of 120%. And that's not enough to get to what he'll get in free agency next year. So the only way to lock him in is to renegotiate him. But if you do that, now you risk that you don't have a good enough team around him. Like they could have still gotten Lonzo and Zach, but how far does Lonzo, Zach, Vooch, Pat Williams and maybe maybe Thaddeus Young if they could have figured out how to keep him, but they lose everybody else and it's just a bunch of men guys and maybe one five million dollar player or whatever four or five million dollar player. You may not be a good enough team. So yes, Zach is there, 
but the team stinks it up. And then Zach has a reputation of being like a low calorie all-star where he's like, yeah, he'll put up numbers, but he won't get you wins. Would that be his fault? No, it's because he's been, he was drafted by the wolves when they were bad, traded to the bulls when they were bad, uh, tried to sign with the Kings, which, you know, we could debate whether that was the right decision or not. Maybe they would have been good if they had Zach and the bulls matched the offer sheet. He never chose Chicago. So, that is the risk they face. Like he never said, I, I want to be a bull. He might've said, I want to be a bull since, but he never said, I want to go to the Chicago bulls. He was sent to the Chicago bulls, tried to go to the Kings and they kept him. But I do think he loves being a Chicago bull. And I think that's where he wants to be, but he wants to be on a team that, that when, when his career is over, that you can look back and say he was a winner, not just some guy who scored 20 something points a night and had some great dunks. Like he wants to win. And so now they instead of giving all that money to Zach to make sure he stays, they're basically gambling on themselves. If we go and we add Lonzo, but instead of just Lonzo, we also bring in DeRozan and we bring in other good players and we don't hurt ourselves as much as far as thinning out our roster. Uh, and um, I think by and large, they've done really well. Alex Caruso and Zach um, and uh, Lonzo is an interesting trio because like Zach is a, a high volume scorer who is probably better served with his energy in scoring and less on being a lockdown defender. Now it'd be great if he could also defend well, but it's really hard uh, at this level to be both. And there are some cases where that exists and those players are upper, upper, upper echelon. And Zach is the upper echelon already. Is he the upper, upper, upper echelon? We'll have to wait and see. But at this point, he's not a proven lockdown defender, but you put Alex Crusoe and Lonzo, two guys who don't care if they score, they just want their team to score and they just want to lock guys down, move the ball, play basketball uh, at, you know, from their point of view, the right way. Uh, Crusoe loves to cut. He loves to dunk. He's, he's got a surprising dunk and he's one of the best. Like if you look at LeBron's on off numbers with Crusoe, they're through the roof. He makes an, a star player better. And Lonzo is a catalyst. He just wants to do the same. So that that's really, it, it's, it's a gamble because they could lose Zach and they, the team may not be great. It may not work and he leaves. But if that's the case with DeMar and with these other pieces, now, even if Zach leaves, they still have pieces to build around, right? Like maybe they could do a sign and trade with Zach. Maybe things go really bad really quickly and they trade Zach at the deadline. But th- that, those are like worst case, right? Like the plan is to keep Zach. The plan is to be successful. And they have a real shot of doing that based on their moves and that's the approach that Zach has, right? He wants to win. They're going to go try to win. And in a perfect world, it works. And he's there for the rest of, of his career. That's the hope. And, and that's the intent. And it's a risk. But it, to me, it's a better risk you know, than just signing like Cody Zeller. You know what I mean? Like I, the Blazers are just kind of like, I know there's a lot of pressure and they have no leverage because everyone sees what's happening. Uh, but they proactively went out just like the Wizards. Let's go make this team better. Let's give Bradley Beal a reason not to leave. Let's go give Zach a reason not to leave. The Blazers don't have to do that yet because Beal has three years left, but stars can push their way out, and we're going to have to wait and see how that goes. And in the meantime, under the gun, because both Beal and Zach can come and leave after this season, those teams are like, let's go make it work. Let's find a way to give these guys a reason to stay. I can't wait to see you know the Bulls, and I think they're on paper they're at least a top six team in the in the East. We could debate if they're top four, but they're certain, in my mind at least they should be top six, and at worst top eight. Maybe they have to get through the plan, but they look like a playoff team if healthy. 
Yeah, they, they certainly have that, you know, on paper, the roster, multiple all-stars, uh, pretty much three-level scoring. If you look at DeRozan's ability to, you know, shoot the mid-range, Zach Levine putting pressure on the rim and also becoming a good three-point shooter himself. And then you have Lonzo in the corners, probably. They, Vucevic out there uh, above the break. You, you have a really solid, you know, offensive roster there right off the gate, but it's the defense that's, that's got me a little bit concerned. Uh, but, but I did, I did want to uh, kind of pose this question to you too, kind of also having to do with, uh, you know, salary cap stuff and, and how teams operate. Now there are teams that rebuild that draft year after year after year in the lottery. Right. And say, you know, three, four years goes by and, you know, these extension talks come up, who can get the rookie max extension, who can get paid. And then also, those that aren't going to be able to get paid and the rumors of them getting moved. You see it with Cam Reddish in, in Atlanta. You saw it with Colin Sexton uh, in Cleveland, just these rumors kind of flying around. So in your opinion, is this the right way um, to kind of navigate the, the way that teams can rebuild? Because I feel like if you can't keep the core of players that you've developed together um, and, and there's a limit on how many you can actually pay that it's almost an impediment in a way. Right. Yeah. No, there, there's some truth to that where if you get three or four guys all around the same age and a lot of teams will try to do that and they'll try to like build with guys in the same window, they all come up for the money at the same time and it can get very difficult and it can get really pricey really fast. And at some point you run into a roadblock where luxury tax or flexibility is lost. But, um, the reality is, is like, if you like, if you shoot a three point shot, you make. If you're a good shooter, if you shoot forty percent, like if you can hit shoot fifty percent, you're like magic, right? Not Magic Johnson, but like magical, like. Um, but forty percent is like, so you're missing six out of ten, right? So that like you're, that's like a perspective on drafting is that forty percent is a good number of hits. Like if you draft ten times and you get four players. That's a good number. And some teams get two that really... And you you might draft well, but you just might like get the number one pick in a year where there is no one number one pick. And, and the Cavaliers were one of those teams, right? Like the Anthony Bennett year. So uh, Kenyon Martin was a really good pro. We could debate if he was on the on par with like Allen Iverson, who was a number one pick around, you know, in the same era. Uh, they're just different caliber. And I thought Kenyon had a great career. That's not a... a slight on Kenyon Martin, but there are a lot of guys who are not quite as good. And that's where you get like a, a Donovan Mitchell or a Giannis who are not number ones who, yeah, every so often you can find somebody like that, but it's really hard to get those guys. And sometimes, and, and this is kind of where the Sixers went with it with under Hinky was like, it is so hard to get that one guy. What we want is we want to have eight, nine, 10 cracks at it. So if we can hit four out of 10, and maybe we'll do better. Maybe we won't. But at least we'll get four franchise-level guys. They end up getting Embiid and Simmons. And we could debate on that, but they got two all-stars out of it, right? Right. And, <laughs> like, you know, obviously, Okafor was not a great pick. And Noel was not a great pick for them. And some of their other choices, like Fultz was not a great pick for them. But So there were a lot of fails in that. And, and I know some other GMs who will point at the process and say, like, look at all their fails. That's not how I look at it. Like I look at it as like you go in and I, I hate to say it, you have to go in expecting to fail, not because of your own intelligence, 
but just because you're choosing 18 to 19 year old kids, maybe 20, who you can't know who they're going to be. You don't know how hard they're going to work. You don't know if they're going to stay healthy. That's a whole another aspect that is like, you get the right pick. You pick Greg Oden and he can't play because of injury. And you can say, well, some people might've seen that coming. Maybe so, but it, it's just part of the game. Like some guys just don't last in two, three years. Fultz, who knew he had all these injuries. It's like, it sucks. And I feel for him. So it's, I'm not saying you go in expecting to fail, but the idea is that you go in, we're going to get volume and we're going to figure it out. So I don't think it's a, it's a wrong way to do it. Uh, the Lakers went through this and I covered that up close in LA. That's, that's the team I covered through that progression where they got, uh, they got Randall, then they got D load. And then they got, before that, they got Clarkson and Nance at some point in the way they got Ingram, Ingram, Monzo, Monzo. Yep. Right. And they drafted really well in later rounds so that they got a lot of good role players, Larry Nance and, you know, we can go down the list. They, they did a really good job of drafting. So their success rate is actually higher than the mean. Like their, their drafting is probably in the A category, uh, whereas a lot of teams are average just because like that's how math works, right? Like there's an average. They're above the, the average. Uh, most are average. And you don't want to go in thinking, in my opinion, like everyone, you have to be confident in who you are, but you can't be like, oh, we're going to be better than everyone else. Like you have to treat yourself as like, we're going to go, and make the best decisions, but allow for lack of success because of variables we don't control. And if you go and assume everything is going to win, everything is going to work, and you it doesn't because that's not how life works, unfortunately, right? We don't all, I mean, some people fail up constantly all the way up to the White House or whatever. I'm not choosing any president, any president you want, right? And you want to apply that to, I'm not applying that to anyone particular. It's not a political show, but some people will fail all the way up, right? And so you can't assume that's going to be you. You have to go in there saying, we're going to go and like, we're, we're not good. Maybe we're a free agent destination. Maybe we're not, but like the Lakers are a free agent destination and they couldn't get a free agent for many, many years. Guys didn't want to come to play uh, alongside the Kobe Bryant spectacle when it was at the end of his career and it wasn't going to be a winning situation. Uh, and it wasn't until the time that LeBron picked them. If LeBron doesn't pick them at some point, someone would have picked, would have picked the Lakers, but imagine being in a, a, a locale that is, is not as, uh, you know, star friendly, like, you know, the, the jazz get picked on for that. Uh, the Cavaliers are not necessarily known to be a destination. Miami is Brooklyn is becoming one, right? Obviously, but it wasn't before. And, uh, the Clippers aren't, weren't before, but you know, the big cities at some point, warriors, uh, the teams in, in Texas should have an advantage, but Dallas has really struggled to bring in uh, top free agents, San Antonio struggles. The Rockets have had some success, but most of their deals were trade. So it's really hard to get free agents. You have to, there, there's no cookie cutter way to do it. But if you can get those pieces, and this kind of rounds out the answer, trading them out can be the answer. Because if you can't pay all of them, some, at some point, if you can get enough of these young pieces together, young players don't usually win. I mean, you're not going to get rid of a Luca, you're not going to get rid of a Trey. But there are guys who are young, and it's like they're not going to be the number one guy. I don't know if Sexton can be the best player on an NBA team that wins a title. He could probably be the third best or maybe the second best if he's with a really good best player. And that's not to criticize him. He's one of the best basketball players in the entire world. So, um, But I don't know if he's a number one guy on a championship NBA team. And if that's, if that's a criticism, so be it. So you get a bunch of those guys, and when the time comes and you have an opportunity to get one of those guys by trading – one of your younger players 
And if you're not a free agent destination, that may be the only way unless you draft a Luca or you get a Donovan Mitchell. And I don't know if, if, if Sexton is that, and we'll see if Darius Garland is that we'll see if the pieces that like maybe Cade Cunningham is that in Detroit, maybe Evan Mobley is that, and he's the next AD or Kevin Garnett or whatever, Chris Bosch or whatever, who knows? Um, but it's a long road and it takes three or four years. And to just wrap the point, look, look how many number one picks the Wolves got. And they're good players, right? Wiggins is good. You may not love him, but he's good, right? Cat uh, is amazing. Like they've got D'Lo, who's a number two, right? Like it's, you can have all these number one guys, but winning is really hard and it usually takes adults and they're all adults, you know, but I'm saying like NBA adults, meaning guys who have been there, done that, been to the playoffs or closer to 30, who get the who understand how to win? This is something that Devin Booker's just learning now, and he's still a baby too, so he's way ahead of the curve. Real quick, I know you got to bounce, and, and that's a fascinating answer. What about that awesome background you have there in your in your bubble? What what is oh, the yeah. sports business classroom? Uh, and uh, yeah, there it is. Yeah, point at it. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm actually leaving tomorrow to go to Vegas for uh, a, a while. <laughs> it's like a, see you a there. Long while. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, we're teaching a program that uh, is actually put on through Summer League, uh, through uh, what's called Sports Business Classroom. But it's actually uh, Warren Legary and Albert Hall are the guys who created Vegas Summer League. And they created this program as well. And it's fully embedded in the Thomas and Mac Arena. And we're actually learning from uh, some of the great NBA minds uh, like myself, I like to think. Uh, no, but Larry Kuhn, who's the general manager. Uh, we've got Bo Estes. Estes, uh, NBA TV, who's teaching like broadcast and media. We've got Dave Defer, who who is a personality and a, an analyst. Quite the uh, personality. Coach, big personality, <laughs> former student, actually. But we're we're not relying just on our expertise, uh, but we're bringing in act like Wes Wilcox. I, I'm I'm heading the basketball operations program, and Wes Wilcox, who's the assistant general manager of the Kings is going to teach a class. I'm working with uh, Dan Purcell, who was a very important piece in the Pelicans front office for a long time. Brian Pauga, who uh, was with the Spurs for years, but then we have big time speakers every year. We get like, we've had Mark Cuban. We've had uh, Adam Silver, Neil Olshay, Tommy Shepard, Masai, like, and you're, you're basically learning from all of these people and you're making contacts and you're a part of a program that helps you build up your network and what the best part of the program is we really help people get jobs. I mean, we've got one of our former students runs the uh, Amber Nichols runs the G League team for the Wizards. Uh, she's, I think, the second female to have that level of a position. And she's also incredible. And I'm so happy for su- her success. Uh, we had Kalita Taylor, who won GM school on NBA TV. Uh, like uh, Makar Gavorkian is, is uh, a cap guy for the Nets now. And it's like you go down the list. And we're getting people jobs. So um, I've left out a bunch, but uh, press for time. But uh, I don't know if there are any spots available, but it, reach out because uh, you can go to sportsbusinessclassroom.com. I know a couple of days ago, there were like two or three spots. We cap it at like 60-ish around. And we, don't, we can't go over a certain amount because just it dilutes the, the process. Uh, we don't want it to be a, you know, like a, a room of 1,000 people or 500 people. We want it to be something where you're really benefiting from a small learning environment and uh, can't speak highly enough. If you're thinking about getting into the industry, be it through media, uh, scouting, analytics, coaching, uh, cap, being an agent, media, being, you know, just an analyst, a a media 
being one of us. Uh, this is a great way to kind of get yourself past that. How do I do it phase into actually figuring out how to do it. Appreciate you, Eric. This is Bleacher Reports. Eric Pincus, the cap guru himself, a good friend, and I'm sure you'll see you in Vegas. Yes, sir. Everything's <laughs> Thanks, Eric. It's been, appreciate yep. it, guys. Thanks for having me on, and uh, yeah, we'll see you in Vegas. Uh, we'll, we'll take a minute and relax, maybe go up to uh, uh, one of those, like, well, I don't know, our Sky Top bar is open anymore? I don't know what's open. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what's open. We'll see what's open. I'm All sure right, we'll, we'll see We'll go somewhere too. that's open <laughs> and do a COVID mask, whatever we got to do to just bond for a minute. So I'll see you there. Sounds good, buddy. All right, Eric. See you. <laughs> and that's Eric Pincus of Bleacher Report. Such a good guy. I love that, man. We, we, we bonded over at the Combine for quite a bit um, a couple of years ago. And uh, very, very kind soul and extremely smart about things that I can't even process. I, half the terminology in that guy's brain, I just cannot process. But um, we do want to thank our sponsor, Panini. Uh, Once again, Panini America is continuing to release digital trading cards on its Panini NFT blockchain platform, which includes its signature Prism basketball line. Check out PaniniAmerica.net to start collecting Panini NFT blockchain cards featuring all of your favorite NBA players. So, Evan... Uh, was there anything in particular about what Eric shared with us? Because, I mean, this turned more into a learning about the cap show than a free agency show because we didn't have one signing. But I feel like I just went to a lecture at college or something yeah. because I just had my brain filled with all of this information. And like he was so adequate. He was so, uh, you know, detailed in his responses uh, to our questions about certain cap situations. So is there anything that stuck out to you? Yeah, the sign and trade aspects. And for those out there watching right now, myself, I'm going to go back and rewatch this later and actually take notes about what he said, because that was actually some really good stuff that Eric gave us here on the stream. And just the sign and trade uh, intricacies a little bit was really intriguing to me, just about how much goes into a sign and trade. Because it has to be the player involved, both teams have to get involved. What's the price? Where are they going to land on? They can be like a little push and tug back and forth there. So it really was interesting to learn about the sign and trade. And also, Eric's just insight on certain teams moves like Chicago, the Lakers, the Knicks, just a lot of good stuff there. I mean, I can't wait to talk to Eric again. I know, and he's, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. So let's, let's talk about uh, a few different articles that are up on basketballnews.com right now. You've written a couple of them. Uh, one, you, you, you wrote one about the Blazers and keeping Damian Lillard happy. You also wrote one uh, on the Kings, hopefully successfully uh, escaping the abyss, as you put it. So, uh, in those articles, what were you detailing uh, uh, on those two franchises? And then uh, we'll get to the one that I wrote. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start off with the Portland one with Damian Lillard because I feel like that's the biggest headline right now. Because if you're Damian Lillard, I know you got Norman Powell back. Norman Powell was actually really good for the Blazers last year. I was 17 points per game, really good facilitator, really good defender. Just a great fit next to Damian Lillard. But outside of that, you get Tony Snell, Cody Zeller, and Ben McIntyre. I don't know if Damian Lillard is going to be exactly happy or content with those moves, but I have to wonder, honestly, exactly what Dane thinks of what's going on in Portland right now. Even though the starting lineup, I wrote my story, the lineup of Lillard, CJ McCollum, Powell, Robert Covington, Yusuf Nurkic, actually the second best net rating among any starting unit last year, minimum 300 minutes. So it's plus 13.4 for 100 possessions. I just don't know if that's enough because I think that Nuggets series where they lost to them without Jamal Murray and Will Barton who had this, a sour taste in their mouth. And my big conclusion was, sure, you can run it back, win around 45, 50 games, but is, is a first or second round exit worth it in that sense? Where Damian Lord, 
He wants to make a WCF run. He wants to make potentially a finals run in Portland. He wants to be there. He's mentioned that over and over again. I think he's reached the boiling point of where I'm going to do one more time, see what Chauncey Billups is the head coach, see if Powell and McCollum can really get get it going and gelling at a higher level. But I just came to the conclusion of my story where I think it's time to make a big move. I think CJ McCollum is that piece you dangle out there, especially after you sign Norm Powell to that big five-year, $90 million extension. Go try to get Ben Simmons, who I think would be a great fit next to Damian Lillard, or Pascal Siakam in Toronto. As we talked about throughout this week, we could be potentially on the trade block. So, Spencer, I mean, what do you think about Portland, where it seems like, honestly, they're in a position where they need to make a move. If not, they're going to be used to the team, kind of where they are right now. Well, it's funny. I was on uh, Rip City Drive yesterday over in Portland, and they were bringing that up, too. It's, it seemed to them that Neil's kind of setting up for this big move that he hasn't made before. Uh, and, and then I thought to myself, and I used that example, actually, of you saying that uh, the, the net rating of that starting five, uh, I said that, you know, maybe give it a chance, like up until the deadline, you know, like you, you see what it looks like, you know, getting I always tell people this when you get traded uh, from one organization to another, especially when you've only been with one organization, that adjustment is incredibly difficult. Um, Norm didn't only come in from that situation, but he also came into a situation where one of those backcourt all-stars was hurt. Um, and then he had to kind of re, uh, you know, reinvigorate himself into that kind of big three ish, uh, move. And also, you know, adjusting to playing with Yusuf Nurkic and like, it, it takes a lot of different things. There's a lot of intricacies about adjusting to a new franchise. Um, but I, I think that you give it a chance if if Neil Olshay thinks that a brand new coach and you know a little bit more depth is going to be the answer, then so be it. You'll see what it looks like, uh, you know, for the first few months. And if it doesn't work out, then maybe you blow it up. Maybe you you know go a different direction and, and try and do it different. But uh, I think for now, this is what they're rolling with. Um, you know, I, I you know a lot of people will you know scoff at the moves that they've made, but you know a couple of wings that are pretty dependable. You know and different in their own right. Tony Snell, a low usage guy can shoot threes, play some solid defense. He's been around the block for a while now. Um, you know, Ben McLemore, pretty streaky guy, but you know, can come off the bench and give you 20. Uh, and then I think that Cody Zeller uh, was a solid signing because they really hurt when Nurkic was either hurt or, or not on the floor. And they had to go a, a lot to, uh, you know, Robert Covington at the five. Now they can bring in a guy like Cody Zeller, who, if he can stay healthy, I, I think he's actually a, a decently underrated player, uh, just as far as you know his his athleticism goes, his rim running. Um, he's a he's a he's able to get those hustle plays, crashes the boards, he can get you a block or two a game if he wants to. Uh, so I, I think that you know those are good moves around the fringes, but when you look at the competition in the West, that's where it looks difficult. Uh, to to who you can compete with, especially with the Lakers having the offseason they have, the Suns bringing everybody back and adding on to to who they have. So you know the Nuggets, if they you know get healthy and get Jamal Murray back, that's a difficult thing. The Clippers are always you know somebody that's going to be in that picture. So to compete with those guys, yeah, that's difficult. The Warriors getting Clay Thompson back and still having that core together. So putting them up against that probably going to be the last team there. Um, but we'll see. And again, I think that they're going to see what this looks like, run it back and, uh, revisit it at the trade deadline. I don't think that they're doing anything before the season. 
Yeah, that's a really valid point. And to get to the second story that we I wrote about on basketballnews.com in Sacramento, Spencer, I think I came unironically. I didn't I didn't even think about doing this before I started writing the story as well. But I feel like Sacramento is another team that needs to make a move here because 15 straight years of missing the playoffs. The last time they were in it, Mike Bibby was there. Ron Artest before he changed his name twice. Brad Miller. It was a, such a long time ago. And this Kings fan base has been starved for an opportunity to have a playoff contender a couple years Don't forget ago. Kevin Martin. Yeah, Kevin <laughs> no, Martin. You're just jogging my name. Jogging my very, very underrated. He's a great shooter back in the day. I think he'd be thriving today's modern NBA. But you think about Sacramento. They had De'Aaron Fox. You have Tyrese Halliburton, who was a very, very good rookie for them last year. I think he's a building block alongside De'Aaron Fox. That backcourt's set now with those two guys. You re-signed Rashawn Holmes, who actually was a really good center for them last year. He revived his career in Sacramento, being a perennial backup with Philadelphia and Phoenix. And he really, that three-man lineup, I put in my story, they're actually the only positive net rating with Rashawn Holmes was with Halliburton and Fox. So the only guy to have that was was Rashawn Holmes. So I think they realized how good he was with those guys. A great fit. They re-signed him on a four-year, $55 million deal. Outside of that, I think the cupboard's pretty bare. You have Davion Mitchell, number nine overall pick, who is really pro-ready immediately. And we saw during Baylor's national title run, he could step in right away, be their third guard. He's very versatile, great shooter as well. I think outside of that, though, we saw Buddy Hill was almost traded to the Lakers a couple weeks ago on draft night. And Marvin Bagley's been floating trade rumors forever now for the last couple months. He just hasn't worked out there in Sacramento as the former number two overall pick. I think, honestly, the Kings need to make a move because you're looking again at another year where you're probably at bottom three or four seed in the West with just how loaded this conference is. And it's going to stay that way. These young teams like Phoenix, Memphis, they're coming up and they're going to be there for a while as far as being in playoff contention. San Antonio, we have no idea what they're doing right now. You have to watch, see what happens there. But Sacramento, to me, unless they want to be potentially almost 20 years down the road missing the playoffs or making the playoffs, I think you have to make a move here soon. De'Aaron Fox is starting his second contract max extension. Tyrese Halburn's going to be due for an extension in a couple years as well. You obviously get Rashawn Holmes back, but ironically, I, I put Ben Simmons in my story again for Sacramento because they've actually been linked to Ben Simmons in the past. Mark Stein put out that they're one of five teams that's been monitoring the Ben Simmons situation. I think they have an intriguing package to offer Philadelphia. You could throw Buddy Heald, Bagley, some young guys, some multiple first-round picks. I think Sacramento is the one team desperate enough, Spencer, that would pay that price because no one's going to go to Sacramento willingly at this point. It's where they are as a franchise. A star-level player is not going to go to Sacramento and say, I want to change things there. It's going to have to be drafting or making a big trade. And I feel like Sacramento has those pieces. You have Halliburton, you have Fox, you have now Rashawn Holmes long-term. But if you add a star player like Ben Simmons to the mix, that's actually a really, really fun lineup to potentially think about. Especially when you look at a transition. Like Ben Simmons is one of the funnest players in transition, and DR and Fox is pretty much right behind them just as fast as they get down the floor. Uh, I also kind of thought to myself if he would fit in Sacramento. Now, if a deal were to, you know, kind of come up, I'm thinking, you know, money-wise, how would that work? You'd probably may have to include Harrison Barnes too, uh, just because of what he's making. But it's an intriguing fit, uh, especially for a franchise that's tried to focus on defense, but just has not succeeded on doing it, at least consistently. Uh, so that's a good, that's a good uh, thought there. And, and maybe something can materialize. We'll see. Uh, you know, there seem to be some reports floating out there about Ben Simmons uh, and potentially not being in contact with the Sixers. I'm not sure um, about, you know, the validity of, of any of that. But if that's true, then maybe they do look into something like that. So those were two your articles. Uh, let's let's look at, the, at mine and then we'll get out of here. Um, I broke down a, a few different players that 
after free agency, after the draft are going to have their roles scaled back a little bit, at least in my opinion. Um, one of them actually got traded an hour after I published it. <laughs> so it was kind of funny. It was Eric Paschal of uh, the Golden State Warriors who got traded for a second round pick to the Utah Jazz uh, back with his childhood friend, Donovan Mitchell, actually. But uh, that was one of the the blurbs that I wrote there. Um, we've officially, you know, kind of changed the title into five now because uh, the other one no longer applies. Uh, but out of these names, I'm going to mention five. I'm going to want you to kind of expand on who you think either could get dealt or or uh, could see their role uh, scaled back. Uh, maybe if you agree with me or disagree with me, I'll just throw some out there. Yeah. So uh, the first one I have here is Lonnie Walker for the Spurs. The next I have is Josh Jackson of the Pistons, uh, Markel Fultz of the Magic, Kobe White of the Bulls, and then this one might be a little bit of a reach, but I, I threw him in there just because I was thinking new head coach, you know, different guy coming in to do the same typical similar role, uh, and that's Dorian Finney-Smith of the Mavs. Yeah, I really like all those options, Spencer. They make a, a lot of sense to me. If I had to pick a couple off that list, I would probably go – with someone like Lonnie Walker. They just signed Bryn Forbes as well. I just feel kind of bad for some of these Spurs young rotation guys because I I don't know why they're going out and getting a Doug McDermott, a Bryn Forbes. They're taking away minutes from guys like Lonnie Walker, Devin Vassell, who they just drafted in the top 10 last year. I feel like, honestly, you need to give those guys a run, especially in a situation where they're not going to be good next year. I don't understand going out and getting those veterans because it just takes away that development. I I remember just the situation covering Phoenix a couple years ago where you get Jared Dudley, you get Tyson Chandler, and just they take away minutes from young guys. Like Alex Len couldn't develop in Phoenix because of Tyson Chandler. So I really do worry about a guy like Lonnie Walker because this I think he squeezed out this rotation. Now. He might be their tenth man, which I think is unfortunate because Lonnie Walker, when he was at Miami, proved to be a legit um, bouncy athlete, a great shooter, a versatile defender. I think Walker deserves a fresh start somewhere else. And I think honestly, someone else like Markel Fultz makes a lot of sense because you just drafted Cole Anthony. You just drafted as well, Jalen Suggs. I think those two guys in the back right there are probably going to be your long-term future and Fultz might be squeezed out. Yeah, and it, it sucks for some of these guys because it's throughout, through no fault of their own. You know, like I, I look at a Josh Jackson who, you know, has been inconsistent, but I think has been taking the right steps in the couple, you know the last couple of years. But, you know, Detroit ends up with the number one pick. What else can you do, right? Uh, you know, they they bring in a guy like Hami Diallo in an opportunity with a trade with with OKC. And all of a sudden you're just going to get buried on the death chart. So I'm sure someone's going to be able to call up, uh, you know, uh, Troy Weaver and maybe give an offer for him. Uh, I think that Kobe White was one that was interesting to me as soon as I saw the moves bringing in Lonzo Ball, bringing in uh, Alex Caruso. Uh, thinking to myself, wow, Kobe White got drafted literally two years ago and he's already going to be here, I'm guessing, because you're hard-pressed to find time for Lonzo, Alex Caruso, uh, DeMar DeRozan, and Zach Levine. uh, Like, with all of them together, that's very difficult. There's no way that he's going to eclipse 31 minutes a night like he did a year ago. And, you know, he's he's still kind of developing, so that might stunt his his, growth curve a little bit. So... Uh, you know, those are just some things that, that I was thinking about. And if, if you like any of those articles we just discussed, um, those are on basketballnews.com, just like the rest of our amazing content. We've got film breakdowns. We've got, uh, you know, kind of examining, you know, new fits. Uh, we've got, you know, free agent list for whoever's left on the market. Uh, so we've got tons of stuff on there for basketballnews.com. We've also got a pa- podcast network. 
uh, 11 great ones for you to listen to. So make sure you go visit basketballnews.com. 